and so we need to remember uh, Sister Mooney, Brother Mooney, and their family as well. And we need to remember a number of people um, that are battling this virus that are in other churches and other places. I'm thankful that God has protected us. God has been good to us. Yes, he has. Been good to us. Several of my friends that are pastors are uh, in the hospital with this COVID virus. Um, one of them is Brother Tom Foster, pastors in Dallas, and uh, where Sister Marietta uh, Patchett now goes to church. And uh, they had an outbreak in their church. A number of people have the virus. Brother um, Foster is in the hospital ICU, and uh, he is uh, in need of prayer. I believe they are starting plasma treatments on him. And uh, also a friend of mine who's been a big part of missions and uh, had a big heart to give, uh, Brother George Guy, who's from the uh, Baton Rouge area of Louisiana. Uh, they have put him on the ventilator today, so he needs our prayer. There is some good news. Uh, Brother Ray Warren, who pastored for many years in uh, Okeechobee, his wife came down with the virus, and uh, she has recovered. They did a plasma treatment on her, turned around. She has been released from the hospital now, and she is going home, and, and uh, it looks like she's going to be doing just fine. So... We still need the Lord to help us, folks. Need God to be with us on this and help us. I believe that the church is an important part of God's voice to this world, to this earth. And um, I believe, as the Bible says, if we will earnestly seek his face, that he will hear our voice. So I know I gave you a lot to pray about, but I wonder right now if you could just lift your hands and your voice. And if you can't remember all the names, just say, Lord, everything that's been mentioned in the name of Jesus. By the authority and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. We pray the divine touch of heaven in the name of Jesus. By the power of your word. I pray you touch Brother Steve Gailey right now in the name of Jesus. You would release healing virtue into his body. I pray, oh God, that you would heal him right now in the name of Jesus. We come against this mass that is in his brain, Lord. And we just know, God, that if you just speak the word only, you said, Lord, you could speak to the mountain, the mountain would be removed. But Lord, I'm asking that this mountain be removed, whatever this mass is. Let it be gone right now in the name of Jesus. Let it dissipate. Let it shrink. Let it disappear. That you would receive all the glory and all the praise because you are a mighty God. Hallelujah. We pray for John, Lord, that you would heal him of colon cancer right now in the name of Jesus. You know who this man is. You know his family, his children. Touch him right now in the name of Jesus. Touch his mom and be with that family. I pray for Sister Mooney right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that you would heal her body. I pray for the Mooney family, Lord. Wrap your arms of love around them, O oh God. Strengthen them, Lord. Let them feel your presence. I pray for peace in the midst of the storm, O oh God. 
I pray that you would touch Pastor Tom Foster right now in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would heal his body, O oh Lord. I pray, O oh God, that you would raise him up in the name of Jesus Christ. We plead the blood of Calvary. Hallelujah. Oh Lord, we pray right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, oh God, for Brother George Guy, by the power of the Holy Ghost. Touch this good man of God right now and heal him in the name of Jesus. Breathe on him, Lord. Breathe the breath of God into those lungs. And heal him by the power of your word. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I pray for Sister Jerry Dean, Lord, I pray that you would heal her right now in the name of the Lord, that you would touch her, Lord, that you would protect that church in Bossier City in the name of Jesus. Oh God, you are the great and the mighty Savior. And Lord, I just pray a covering upon your people, Lord. I pray for a healing in this land, oh God. I pray, Lord, that the blood of Jesus right now would cover us even as you covered your people, Lord, in Egypt. Cover us, O oh Lord, with your blood. In the name of Jesus, we apply it to every home. We apply it to every doorpost, Lord. We apply it to our minds and our spirits. In the name of Jesus, we call upon your name, Lord. Hallelujah. In the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. You are the great God. You are the mighty God. Touch Sister Eloise Henry right now in the name of Jesus. Heal her, Lord. Strengthen her, O oh God, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for Sister Edwards, Lord, that you would touch in the name of Jesus Christ. Do your work, O oh God, every, every spoken need and every unspoken need. We look unto you, Lord, the author and the finisher of our faith. In the name of, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for being a praying church. How many of you still believe prayer changes things? Amen. God is good. God is good. Well, they have vacation Bible school going on in the other building, so I think our children have the Life Center pretty much occupied, and uh, everybody else is either staying in here or will drift aimlessly around the campus. <laughs> Hopefully you'll choose to stay in here. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to um, speak to you tonight for just a few moments. I'm not going to hold you a long time, but I do want to speak on this simple subject, just Jesus, just Jesus. We begin in Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. It reads, But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. I'm thankful for a number of people that have been baptized in the name of Jesus over just the last few weeks Sunday night baptism in Jesus name received the gift of the Holy Ghost and then um, I believe it was yesterday we baptized another young lady uh, in the name of Jesus here at the church during the day and 
thankful for the name of Jesus. The verse that we read to you from Acts chapter 8 is concerning a revival that was taking place in Samaria. It was a tremendous revival. It was one of those revivals that literally was shaking uh, the entire city. It was being led by a young evangelist by the name of Philip. He had just received his credentials to preach two chapters before, so he was still young, but very anointed and very used of God. But there was a lot of persecution that was happening at this time. And if you look in verse 1 of Acts chapter 8, reading through verse 3, it sort of sets the scene. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Of course, we know this was Paul before his name was changed to Paul. And before he was saved, he was persecuting the church. And it wasn't just harassing, it was uh, full-on persecution. And he was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So you understand this picture. The church in Jerusalem was under persecution, so people were fleeing the area. And so the gospel moved to other regions. And so the apostles stayed put in Jerusalem, but many of the uh, church moved on to other regions, Judea and Samaria. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial. Stephen, of course, we know from the chapter before, was one of those young preachers who had been ordained with Philip. And Stephen had been executed uh, for preaching a powerful message of conviction in Acts chapter 7. And so they carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. There was much mourning, of course, for this young man losing his life for preaching the gospel. As for Saul, who was really the ringleader, he made havoc of the church. In other words, he didn't just stop with the execution of Stephen. It literally fueled his fire, and he became even more aggressive. He made havoc of the church entering into every house. I mean, literally going into the houses and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. So this was the context of this great revival. I, I, I want to pause and just make this parallel. Some of it may be obvious, but I want to make sure it doesn't uh, skate by us. And that is, throughout all the Word of God and even history, God has never been limited by the climate of the culture. It's important to know that. It seems like the greatest revivals are in the midst of persecution. And so, throughout the book of Acts, throughout history, 
even if you studied what all took place uh, under communist Soviet Union and China, all the these, these incredible revivals, it's almost as if God shows up and shows out in an adverse environment so that you and I have to acknowledge that God is God all by himself. He does not need man to help him. He can do the supernatural even in an adverse environment. This, that's the context of what we read about here in Acts chapter 7 and, and in Acts chapter 8. So Stephen is executed. His buddy Philip goes to Samaria and begins to preach in Samaria. And this preaching business was a risky business. This wasn't something you just did because you needed a job. It was something that they did because they were compelled from the inside of their heart to preach the gospel. They knew that preaching the gospel was very dangerous. But they were undeterred. It seemed like the more persecution, the more God would demonstrate his power. And then look how the followers of Christ reacted and look how the Lord reacted. If you, if you continue reading in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad, that's this group now that's leaving Jerusalem and they're going to Judea and Samaria. They were scattered abroad. They went everywhere preaching the word. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I think that this right now, the environment that we're in is an environment where the church ought to go everywhere preaching the word. We shouldn't be uh, fearful of preaching the word. And, and, and can I just say this? Because I'm sure from my title, you know where I'm going with this message. So I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. The church needs to be the church. And God didn't call us to be political commentators. Our goal is to preach Jesus. Our mandate is to preach Jesus. I know everybody's got different opinions, but that's fine. But the common denominator that brings us all together is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am convinced more than ever before that what this world needs more than anything else is just Jesus. Just Jesus. So in the midst of all of this persecution, Philip, the Bible says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. That's what he did. What are you going to do, Philip? I'm going to preach Christ. I'm going to just preach Christ. And the people, with one accord, they were unified gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Folks, if we'll just preach Jesus, live Jesus, talk Jesus, Jesus will show up. Jesus is just looking for an opportunity to demonstrate his great power. And then watch what happened. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, 
came out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. Now I want you to look at this. This is important. There were different things that were happening here, but they can be categorized into two sort of overarching areas. One of them is physical healing. Palsy was a disease that they had at that time, and it would cause them to, to be lame. Many of them taken with palsies were healed. That's a physical healing. And many that were possessed with what? These unclean spirits. That's a spiritual healing. A physical healing and a spiritual healing. How many of you know Jesus can do both? I'm thankful he can heal our body, but I'm also glad he can heal your soul. Hallelujah. He's not just limited to any one particular area, but Jesus is everything we need. He's what we need in our homes. He's what we need in our relationships. He's what we need in our finances. He's what we need in our bodies. He's what we need in our minds and our spirit, soul. Every aspect of humanity is cured, healed, delivered, set free, and blessed by the power of the name of Jesus. And they were, and they that were lame, all they were healed. God was moving and the people were spreading the gospel. And when you and I move the gospel, how do we move the gospel? We move the gospel by speaking of it. Preaching, teaching home Bible studies, witnessing, sharing the gospel with others, whether it be uh, in our homes, on our jobs, in the stores, wherever. If we'll move the gospel, Jesus will move heaven and earth. Now, Philip did not have a lot of sermons. He had not been to Bible college. He did not know about hermeneutics and expository preaching and extemporaneous and all. He all he knew was Jesus, and that was all he needed. Hallelujah. He just came preaching Christ. And I don't know about you, and I'm I'm thankful for all the helps that we have now. And one fellow said he he didn't have to pray anymore since he got a Bible program and he can just research everything on his computer. That's sad if we're looking to all of these things to to be our crutches and we're not in communication with Jesus. It's still Jesus that's going to do it. And I'm thankful that we have all these opportunities. People have opportunities in their computers, their iPhones, iPads. They can get all different translations and get all these different helps and concordances and and Greek, and Hebrew, and blah, 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 blah. But I'm going to tell you something. You will never, ever get to the point where you don't need the power of the name of Jesus to make a supernatural difference in your life. It doesn't matter how educated we get. It doesn't matter the information age. It doesn't matter technology. It doesn't matter how everything going around. It's still going to take the name of Jesus Christ, a man or a woman that can get a hold of God and say, I've tried everything else. I've got to have you. I live for you. In you we live and move and have our being. You're my strength. Hallelujah. You're my help. I need you. It's all in Jesus. It's something you, you know that in Acts 9, Paul has this conversion experience. And the Lord knocks him off his high horse. He's trying to expand too. 
Let me tell you something. The enemy is having a revival. If the church doesn't have a revival, the enemy keeps on having a revival. He's still spreading his gospel. And, and Paul, who didn't realize it at the time, his name was Saul at the time, he, he didn't realize that he was working against. The Lord had to knock him off his high horse. He was on his way to Damascus. He was getting more permission. He was expanding. He was planning on moving beyond Jerusalem and getting permission to arrest and haul these Christians in even all the way up in Damascus. So he was on his horse and he was going down the dusty trail and the Lord just said, enough of this. Oh, hallelujah. I'm so glad the Lord can do an instant work. There's some things I know that develop over time, but there's times where the Lord just says, zap. Man, that's all she wrote. And so here he is on his way to Damascus and got all his entourage around him. And the Lord just hits him with a bright light, takes away his natural vision. Sometimes the Lord has to take away your natural vision so he can give you some spiritual vision. Sometimes he has to limit the choices and the options that you have in the flesh so that he can give you the answer in the spirit. Amen? It's what he did with uh, Paul. And so... He said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You know the story in Acts chapter 9. You're working against me. And how is that? And who are you? And why persecutest thou me? All this that went on. But basically, when it was all said and done, he had converted to Christianity. And as strong uh, as an opponent as he was to the gospel, he now becomes a proponent of the gospel. But... Paul is very educated, and Paul is very intelligent. Paul has a Roman citizenship. Paul was very respected in the schools and the synagogues and all the places of learning, not just in the Palestine area, but even in different parts of Europe. And so uh, Paul, uh, he... He has a desire to go to Athens. Now, you got to remember that Athens was the, like the learning. It was like where all the really, you know, smart people hung out. They had all these philosophers, Epicureans and Stoics and all these groups of people. And they all just pondered, sat around and pondered the mysteries of the world. And... Um, Right there in Athens, there's all these temples, you know, and Acropolis and Parthenon and all this. And then there's this hill. I've stood on that hill. It's called Mars Hill. The Bible makes reference to it in Acts 17. Paul wants to go to Athens. And, and so all of these philosophers would gather, and the Bible said they would gather to hear some new thing. They just loved different ideas and concepts and and, and they, they would all come together and gather. And so uh, somewhere through the political channels, Paul was able to get an invitation to speak there at Mars Hill. So he was excited about this opportunity, bring him the gospel. Before he got there to Mars Hill, he kind of walked around. And he was looking at all their, uh, all their idols and false temples to false gods and all this. And he saw that they, they, had a, uh, they had a temple to everybody they could think of. And then in case they missed somebody, they had one to the unknown god. 
So when Paul walked by and he saw that inscription to the unknown God, he said, I got my sermon for Mars Hill. I'm going to tell them about the unknown God. So they say, Mr. Paul is now coming to speak, and we invite him to take the podium. So Paul goes up there, and he said, I went around and observed all these different uh, statues and idols and temples, and I noticed that you had one to the unknown God. I've come to tell you who the unknown God is. And they all sat forward to hear. Educated the philosophers, the renown of the day. And so Paul preaches this incredible message that is, is covered in Acts chapter 17. And he, he talks, he quotes their own poets and he, he refers to things. He literally takes what they know and uses it to, to bridge the gap to what they don't know. And that is Jesus. And so he preaches this great message titled The Unknown God. And when you get to the end of Acts chapter 17, verse 32 tells you the response of the crowd of philosophers and educators that had gathered on Mars Hill. Acts 17, 32 says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, when he told them that Jesus had resurrected, from the dead. These great philosophers who supposedly were open to new ideas and concepts all of a sudden became very close-minded. They couldn't handle this resurrection. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. What? Are you kidding me? Who's this guy? Get him off of here. Get him out of here. He's crazy. They were all hollering out. They were mocking from the crowd. And others who were more compassionate maybe and more politically correct, they said, well, Mr. Paul, we will hear you again on this matter. Take a seat. Verse 33, so Paul departed from among them. It doesn't seem like it ended real well. And then verse 34 says, how be it? Even though it looked like he wasted his time, even though it looked like nobody received his, his message, how be it certain men clave unto him. Some guys still were interested. Tell us more about this Jesus. You never waste one opportunity to proclaim Jesus. I don't care what crowd you're talking to. You never waste an opportunity to tell about Jesus. And so certain men clave unto him, verse 34 says, and believed among the which was Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So apparently two people that were known and some others perhaps that were not known. But we never get any indication from Scripture that Paul was able to establish a church in Athens. 
which was unusual because almost everywhere Paul went, there was a church after he got done. <laughs> I mean, this was a powerful guy. Whenever he got through preaching, teaching, there was a group of followers, and then he'd send letters. Of course, we know that from the epistles, what they call the Pauline epistles of the New Testament, where he helped them to get established in their faith. But in Athens, he never really seems to get a foothold. So he leaves Athens, and he's walking to Corinth. And Corinth is not that far from Athens, unless, of course, you're walking which he was, and it probably seemed further for him than it is for us. But if you drive by car, I mean, it's not, it's not that long to get there. And it was down by uh, the water. It was a port area, and it was used for a lot of trade at that time. And so he goes to Corinth, and Corinth is a much different environment than Athens. And I think that it is when he, he determined that he would go to Corinth that he made up in his mind that he was just going to preach Jesus when he got to Corinth. He was not going to try and quote poets and make his message relevant with inscriptions from their own idols. He was going to just preach Christ. And the reason I believe that is because when you read 1 Corinthians, which we know was the letter he wrote back to the church at Corinth, and you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, And I, brethren... When I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why is it important that when they preached Jesus they preached him crucified, and they preached his resurrection. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it is still the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that is the foundation for the gospel more than 2,000 years later. And we know what that is. Even today, we know it is, is repentance. That's the death, the burial, as Romans 6, 4 says, we're buried with him by baptism and death that we shall arise in newness of life. That's baptism in Jesus' name. And the resurrection is the power of the Holy Ghost. And so when Paul is now, maybe he was discouraged about Athens. I don't know. But he tells the Corinthians, when I came to y'all, I made up my mind. I wasn't going to have any other agenda. Just, I'm going to preach Jesus Christ. And him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear. Maybe he was struggling from what he saw as a lack of response from Athens. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Maybe he was even second-guessing himself. They're not going to receive me because he's still worried about the response from Athens. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
Oh, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that we're still operating in the power and the demonstration of the name of Jesus. It's not the wisdom of man that saves people. It is the power of God. It is just Jesus that makes a difference. And we know there was a great church established in Corinth. And we live in a, in a day where people are trying to move away from the name of Jesus. There is what they call an emerging church doctrine, which means that we need to make Christianity more relevant and more acceptable to our modern day culture. Sort of wrapped up in the bundle of all these different concepts of, a, of an emerging church doctrine is a, is a belief that the name of Jesus is too divisive. It would be better not to mention the name of Jesus. So churches have entire services, programs, never even mention the name of Jesus. And they say, we don't want to mention the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus offends people and causes people to feel that we're being judgmental. That somehow the name of Jesus is not acceptable in our culture today. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I know I'm speaking to a Wednesday night crowd. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir, which is probably why I always go overtime on Wednesday night, because I happen to like preaching to the choir. <laughs> but Christianity was never designed to adapt to culture. What is the purpose of Christianity if it doesn't deliver us from sin? It's not to try to whitewash Christianity so that it fits into a culture. That's not what Christianity is. Jesus did not come to try to fit in to the culture that was in Jerusalem and Bethlehem and, and Israel at the time when he was born. Jesus was a revolutionist. was radical of course Jesus is divisive the name of Jesus separates heaven from hell separates right from wrong it separates righteousness from wickedness when I look into the revelation and I see the white throne judgment it looks like there's a real big clear dividing line depart from me I never knew you Come into the everlasting glory. I mean, it's per distinction between the two. So the gospel was never intended to be a popularity. There is a separating nature to the If it wasn't, then what's the purpose in the gospel? Now, let me, let me quickly get to this, and I want to make sure I, I get this in. Because I know our time is limited tonight. But the Bible says that when 
when Philip went to Samaria, preached the name of Jesus and things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now for just a couple of minutes, I'd like to try to unpack what those things are pertaining to the kingdom of God. All of it has to flow from Jesus. Here's what Romans 14 and 17 says are the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. So it's what it's not. <laughs> that may be a big surprise. It's not meat and drink. It's not parties and potluck dinners and, and festivities. And we all love to eat and party and have a good time as much as... But that's not what the kingdom is. The kingdom of God. Is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Let me ask you a question. Have you seen another time in life when there's not a need for righteousness, peace, and joy than there is right here? In the middle of June, 2020. Righteousness, peace. So, at first glance, I believe it's obvious that when you embrace Jesus, you get righteousness, you get peace, and you get Jesus is the everything else without Jesus is unrighteousness, it's chaos, and crisis. So when you get Jesus, uh, you get the divisiveness, uh, you get the when you Woo, hallelujah! Righteousness, peace, and joy. This is what the kingdom of God is supposed to be. It's supposed to be about righteousness. And that's why it's not righteous. The kingdom of God is about the name of Jesus, and the name of Jesus is righteous. The greatest difference that I see when I try to compare those two is how that we have incorporated a lot of things in addition to Jesus. We're dealing with human nature, like I said about Paul, you know, even he was trying to deal with some of his own struggles and trying to incorporate some of his own um, education and learning into what he was preaching, and certainly there's nothing wrong with that. What the Lord, me, it's going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not going to be your preaching. It's not going to be your singing. It's not going to be your personality. It's not going to be your pretty buildings. It's not going to be your program. Center. Yes. It's going to be the power of the name of Jesus that can save a person from their sins. Uh, that when they come down and stand at an altar and they feel the weight of God, uh, you are doing for me what I could not do for myself. I thank you and I give praise unto you, Lord. It's just Jesus that makes the difference. 
realized that even Christian songs are taking the name of Jesus out. Lord, lover, friend, whatever happened to Jesus? You're an extremist if you believe in the name of Jesus. And so far as to even say that we apostolic, they they they'd rather you believe in Father, Son, Holy Ghost. We believe in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But, we... but how can you be an extremist for believing in the name of Jesus? Cool. That um, is a part of another church. I don't want to say what the church is. To some of you, it's about five miles that way. <laughs> Bay and the church, he was excited about it, and he went to school on Monday and was telling all the other kids about it, and we got to call, he strangled another kid or something, and uh, so we didn't know what to expect when we got there, the principal said, you know, your son is talking all about the whole They can receive the Holy Ghost. And that when he got the Holy Ghost, he spoke in tongues. Now, we appreciate his enthusiasm and the confidence that he has in his experience. We were like, well, do you all believe the Bible? It is a Christian school, our belief about it, and we were respectful, and we said that uh, we would talk to our kids and try to get them to tone it down. When we talked with our kids, we said, y'all did so good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they were young, and they got to go down to Brazil with me, and Luke got the Holy Ghost down there in uh, Brazil, and we were traveling around with Brother DeMerchant. So, back from of a, they told all about their trip uh, to Brazil, and we got another call. <laughs> and we, your son, that's a, those Indian villages and all of that, but they they started talking about all of these people getting saved. I'm like, yes, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Everyone has a different path. This is supposed to be a Christian school in Palm Bay. Amazed at how you could not be in favor.
influences that can be in kids' minds for movies and whatnot, for, a, for a, a young person to talk about what the Lord is doing, I would think it would be celebrated from the highest level in Samaria. For unclean spirits, <laughs> how'd you like that segue? Crying with loud voice. But, there's always a but. There was a certain man named Simon who before... He was presenting himself as the Savior. Giving out that himself was some great one. There's power of God. That's why there were so many unclean spirits. Because the only representation they had of the power of unclean spirits wherever people, individuals, humans are trying to take the glory that out to the glory of God. I just want to exalt the name of Jesus. I just want to magnify the name of the Lord. I don't care if it's... I told our staff... We should be like the NFL referees. Because if, if referees are doing their job in an NFL game, nobody's talking about the referees. If anybody, they're invisible and the focus is on the game and the game is what people tune in for. If we do our job right in church... We ought to be invisible, and when people come, we can blow it and make it about us. But if we do our job right, it's not about who preached. It's not about who sang. I got five minutes. This man is the great power of God, and to him they all had regard because that God will back away from it. When men and women will humble themselves and say, God, we need you. You're the only one who promoted himself. He used sorcery to keep them all in fear. He used his name and his authority mixed with sorcery. But it was disguised. He didn't come in the name of the devil. They thought he was. He doesn't push his name. He just pushes the lack of Jesus' name. But I'm going to tell you an atmosphere he has to flee from when people are praying in the name of Jesus, when people are baptizing in the name of Jesus, when people are preaching the name of Jesus. Because Satan knows if he can keep the name of Jesus out. We're in that scenario. One other thing, there's no joy. It's based on fear. And this is how Simon ran the Samaria. And there's no deliverance in the name of David, and there's no deliverance in the name of Timothy, but the name of Jesus. name of Jesus should bring joy. Joy that I'm delivered. Hallelujah.
One reason you can tell he was preaching about the power of the name is the name of Jesus resting in your life. The response is always to the subject matter of the sermon. Let me say that again. The response is always, you ought to declare the name of Jesus in your home. You ought to declare the name of Jesus over your children. You ought to declare. Stand to your feet. They were baptized in Jesus' name because Philip was preaching that you must be baptized in Jesus' name. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that we're pre-Philip and wondered beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Then finally, that we never make anyone reform their ways, that we never speak directly, that we never confront, that we just walk around. You read a little bit more from Acts chapter 8. And when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the Holy but Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee. Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with my matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness. Simon, pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. We were up there last year helping Brother Joel Urshan in the church get approval, presenting the the uh, opposition, she got up and spoke, and they had all their witnesses, and and then uh, I got up and spoke, and I spoke on behalf of church, and then brother, and all that was left was all of these people that were in the church, and they all got up and started talking about what Jesus had done for them, and against God. Brother Urshan, who's the kindest person I've ever met in my life, he and some of the others, they went down there and they tried to gather her and try to get. And I said, let her go. Hey, why I voted for that church. I was afraid of what that sister was saying. I didn't want judgment coming on me. Of his name, you've got all that you need in any environment, in any circumstance. Would you lift your hands now? Would you... De- Jesus over every situation we speak righteousness and peace and joy that the name of Jesus may be exalted in this in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus hallelujah If you, have to, if you have to leave and pick up your kids and you've got to go out this door over here on the side, we'll go ahead and dismiss you. But if you feel like that the Lord is, or whatever the situation is, I need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah.